Come on. Welcome to Money Savage REI, and welcome our guest, the strong and powerful Scott Choppin. Scott, <laughs> welcome. Hey, George. Great to be here. Excited Thank you for being on. Yeah. Scott is the founder and CEO of the Urban Pacific Group. They're real estate development veterans helping investors achieve superior recession-resistant long-term results. Again, excited to have you on. Scott, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, basically, have a family background in real estate development. I've spent the entirety of my career um, doing real estate development, uh, even differentiated from investing in real estate, although we do invest in our own projects. We're really exclusively a developer. I've spent now close to 35 years basically you know, honing my skills in, in the space, um, family background. Uh, I've, I'm married uh, to my wife, Becky. Uh, she and I have been together and married for 27 years. Nice. Uh, three kids, 19, 17, and, and 13. Uh, so oldest is in college at, at USC. And then uh, my younger son is in high school and my daughter, our youngest, she's in junior high school. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, really my family is what is my existential purpose. Like, like, why do I do what I do? Of course, I'm like anybody, I, I want to, you know, build an identity in the marketplace to be successful and, 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 you know, productive and profitable and in, in business operations. But, you know, every day that I go to work, that I do what I do, it's really to take care of my family, both, you know, now, you know, immediate in the immediate, you know, present, uh, but also in the long-term future. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it took me many years to really like know that, like, like, like have it be something I thought about consciously. I mean, I was always oriented towards family, but it finally dawned on me probably eight or 10 years ago that I go, Oh, like, this is really why I do it. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a certain amount of ego, I suppose, and wanting to be, you know, successful in what you do and what you undertake. But all that goes out the window when you go really what the decision-making metric is, you know, what, how can I, you know, I need to take care of others in business um, while I take care of my family. So that's that's sort of my background. Nice. I, I appreciate that. So 35 years in 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 the real estate industry, in, in development. Ha, has it all been in a certain region? You know, so 35 years when I – so I, I really uh, – I have family background, George, where basically my, my, my Uncle Mike and my dad, Kerry, were both real estate developers in their own right. And, um, so I basically started at 16 years old. I'd get up in the mornings before I went to high school and I'd drive to uh, my dad's apartment projects in particular. I'd, I'd pick up trash, you know, super sexy, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> probably if you'd asked me at the time, I would have told you I, I like hated every minute of it. And I, I probably was the, a, a terrible, <laughs> probably an awful trasher, a bad picker. trash picker upper, <laughs> uh, but it, 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 informed me um over several major milestone decision making you know time periods in my in my younger years um you know i got out of high school um didn't necessarily have a specific you know uh, intention to go to college or even necessarily what my career was which sounds silly because i come from a family of very successful people but you know, being 18, you know, sort of, you know, does that to you. Right? Yeah. 
Um, so I worked for a couple of years in the construction trades and learned a lot about how a part, like I, all the work I did was on new construction apartment buildings, uh, which, you know, came from, you know, help that my dad gave to find that job. And that taught me several things of what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be in construction, you know, good people. And we still do a lot of that work. You know, we work with people who are in that, in the trades and, and the construction industry, but wasn't going to be what I wanted to do exclusively. And then, you know, at about that age of 18 or 19, I, I read several books that really sort of brought home for me finally what my uncle and my dad did at, relative to deal making, right? Like I understood sort of the background of development. I saw what they did. I, hey, you build buildings, you find land, you, you, you rent out offices or apartments. But these books finally opened up my thinking to go, oh, this is what an entrepreneur is. Like, you know, you find a deal, you add value, you sell it for more than it costs you, right? Very fundamental, like, you know, and really what ultimately sort of motivated me to, to then pursue real estate development as a career. And from really that point on, George, it was like I knew I needed to go to college. I needed to get a certain degree, you know, business administration and finance is what I picked, what I thought was going to be most applicable to that. And then, you know, worked for several years, you know, for other companies learning the profession of real estate development, project management. And then at 32 was the time period that I decided it was time to go out on my own and really run my own company, which uh, has been Urban Pacific now for uh, 20, it'll be 21 years this coming March. Nice. It's always, it's always cool to learn people's journey. So, all right. So tell us specifically what, what it is that Urban Pacific does. Yeah, so being a real estate developer, you know, we we find land either vacant or underutilized, and and we design and build buildings. That in our uh, instance, we are an apartment developer, so we build new construction apartment projects, and we focus specifically in the workforce housing domain. So we build apartments that, in fact, we have a unique product called Urban Townhouse or UTH for short, which is really predominantly designed and built to rent to families. You know, think a working class family in Southern California is where we're headquartered, but any major urban high cost housing market, which California is like the, you know, the top, you know, of that pile of expensive marketplaces. So we really are predominantly working to build apartments to serve multi-generational families. In fact, we build a five bedroom, four bath townhouse rental product that basically sort of lives like a house is the way we say it It lives like a house but uh, rents you know like an apartment unit and it allows us to serve these families you know and in, in relative affordability and i'd say relative because of course that depends on you know who the family is in the market specific micro market that they're in but the intention is to give them a an environment and a housing unit that allows them to economic share amongst multiple income earners and live multi-generationally which is not typical for the apartment development you know industry they're not serving that demographic and then more recently during this coronavirus era uh, we've actually had a huge increase in working professional roommates so not your younger population although there's some of those folks but these would be people that are in their late 20s and 30s that are working professionally their companies have released them to from working in a specific geographic location they can now work virtually and so they become what i call location agnostic and in fact they're they're predominantly forming the roommate groups around 
some, you know, pre-existing friendship group or, you know, people that enjoyed living together that now can go live together because their companies have all gone virtual. And so they don't care where they, I mean, they care where they live, but sure. in other words, they don't have to live in city X or city Y. And so they're forming these groups and then they fought, pick some, you know, place that they want to live. And we're attracting them because we have these five bedroom units. Um, so what we're having is we'll get three or four professionals working together and they'll, you know, three people lives in a unit, three bedrooms used for living. And then they have the two extra bedrooms for work from home space. So we've got a vast increase in acceleration in that environment. Um, so we always anticipated that, you know, in a recession, our product would be attractive to people that wanted to economic share amongst multiple earners which in our minds was always families and still is. Um, but this roommate group, you know, the economic sharing lifestyle is the same. And, and you know, it's typical for humans to, you know, live that way, uh, to live together and share incomes and expenses during a recessionary period. So we're seeing really very significant uptick in our, in our uh, you know, business plan in that environment, in this environment right now. How interesting. When did you sort of make the decision to focus on that, on that urban townhouse model? So about four years ago is when we really started thinking about it. So 20, 2016, 2017, um, we had been developing a, a different product type that was more oriented to studio and one bedroom units. So think, you know, young working professionals that were moving to the city center, downtown areas, great product, great demographic. Uh, but in 2017, we start, started to see a real big surge in new supply from really big big, you know, small, middle-sized companies. There's just a lot of product coming on onto the marketplace and really gearing up to come in the future. And so that really, you know, we've always wanted to operate in, in a contrarian mode wherever we could. And so, you know, just given my background in affordable housing and market rate housing, I knew the story of families in need of, of housing that suited families, right? You know, think about it, a studio or one bedroom doesn't fit families. They would never choose the lifestyle. Just the living format isn't cohesive for them. But also those projects are very expensive, right? And so if you're a working family with four or six or eight people and you have and you do rent either by choice or by default, then you know you start to look around the marketplace and there's very limited supply of product that really fits these you know, these, this family lifestyle, right? Multi-generational. So we started to look and go, what can we be doing that's different than what everybody else is doing so we can move away from the crowd, so we can not be, you know, surrounded by huge amounts of comp competition, you know, what's a product that's in high demand and low supply. So we really arrived at this UTH model, um, you know, after a few months of really research and working on a few early projects that sort of informed how we could build it. And really, once we really after about the first couple projects, it really cemented our thinking. They go, this is a long term uh, space to occupy in the market, you know, market niche. You know, it, it has this great social impact story of, of helping families now helping, you know, roommates. Um, it's not in huge supply. I mean, there's not a lot of people that are going to do five bedroom units. Right. It's just wholly uncontested. There's a few people at a low level that, that, that play in that space. But, you know, we're the only ones that I can see that are doing it at scale and really growing at scale also. And so we basically about three years ago, uh, you know, just went solely and exclusively to the UTH model. And in fact, we're 
working on raising a, a, a real estate equity fund um, that should be you know out in the public domain in the next 60 days that would um, finance a, a, an existing uh, portfolio of projects we've already developed and will hold long term and then roll several new projects. And the intention is to have a supply of capital with a really a long term, really five to seven year window of time to invest. And then, you know, we'll, you know, structure these. So we hold them in perpetuity, really for our all intents and purposes. You know, we want to hold these projects forever. We think the story of multi-generational living and economic sharing in California particularly is going to be the story for a very long time. And so we've committed really, you know, our entire company and all our resources towards that business plan. Nice. Well, I think that that's, it's exciting. And it seems like any time that you can find something that's in high demand and, and low supply, that, that seems like a pretty good idea. Yeah. That, was, that came from one of those books I mentioned earlier, right? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and so on. Right. But obviously nobody else thinks that it's a good idea or they just can't figure out how to do it. What is it? Yeah. Great question. I, I, I mean, we, we don't, I don't, you know, like, like my role as the CEO is a lot about strategy and innovation, right? Like what, what's the next, you know, phase, what's the next step? What can we, we'd be doing to stay ahead of the competition. Right. Um, and I don't say that nobody will do five bedrooms. Now, a couple answers to your question. One is all the institutional developers and builders and investors won't really get into this domain in a big way because it's so far on the end of the spectrum as far as unit type. Now that's not to say a developer won't put some larger bedroom count units into their project, but they wouldn't do it exclusively like we are. So, you know, a certain level of commitment. Um, I think that it's just because it's so extreme institutions, institutional capital sources aren't built to be extreme. They're in fact built to be the middle of the road. You know, they have fiduciary duty, you know, they want to produce returns, but they also don't want to screw it up and invest in something that's so extreme as to be, you know, like unknown or untested. Now we like, because we do raise capital and that's an ongoing, you know, effort of ours, you know, we look to, you know, make the product competitive and compelling from a narrative standpoint. Like why would an investor invest in this? Oh, stable families, right? Strong social networks that keep these families local, you know, low supply, high demand, right? long-term future of like not enough product to meet the needs of it. Right. And so I think they'll, we'll see an uptick in uh, modern income housing and workforce housing and, and, you know, multi-generational housing. Um, but those are, those are like uh, small niche parts of the business generally when you look at the total marketplace. So that will always be the case, right? Um, institutions are not experimental. That'll keep them out of the space. Um, and then, you know, we just need to contend with those people that do get comfort with the extreme nature of the product type. And our job, my job is to innovate, to continue to stay ahead of the crowd. Um, maybe new build technologies, maybe different markets, maybe we expand, you know, instead of only families, we think of roommates that work from home, right? And that's an observation we saw in the marketplace naturally, but we go, can we, you know, do things in our business plan that, that, you know, can make that more conducive to, you know, expanding the business plan, right. Uh, staying ahead of the crowd ultimately. So it's, it's not, it, it's never that it will never happen or it's not, how can I put this, you know, competition will come and it's just yeah. our job to basically continue to innovate, stay ahead of that. 
Um, but I think, you know, relative, in relative terms, we're going to stay in this workforce housing space because I do think in general terms, it's underserved um, from what I spoke about before. But also, I think just the narrative and the mental model that most institutions have, right? If you think, look at the mainstream media, you know, they're like, oh, workforce housing, you know, it doesn't work or there's no way to make it work, right? And I, you know, I read a lot and I hear those narratives and I go, great. I mean, not that it's not that we want, we would love more families to be served by workforce housing. There's plenty of demand to go around. Like we would never be able to fulfill even just even a small portion of it. Um, so I think that, you know, generally growth in the marketplace is welcomed. Um, but at the same time, it's so, it's such an extreme niche that I don't see that a mainstream, you know, the crowd won't come into that space. Right. Um, so I'm generally. Makes sense. I like it. Well, Scott, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? You know, the, the, the place I've been spending a lot of time thinking about is, um, you know, what I call networks of capability. Right. So we all know the term networking and I'm not meaning that exactly, although that's part of it. It's really to to think about it in a new way. So we're in this new environment of, of technology acceleration. Right. Coronavirus has come. You know, we've moved, you know, what would have been a 10 year uh, technology adoption cycle and we've moved it into, you know, five months or whatever. You know, Zoom would be an example of that. And so what that does that should throw and we're in this story people into building their networks around capabilities and not convenience, right? So convenience, you know, in the old days when you lived in the village, you know, you had the local candle maker and the local butcher and the person who made clothes and they were in your village. And so you transacted with them because they were convenient, right? And what I call the third industrial revolution, would, which would be predating computers, you know, you had people in your local community, right? Or your you know, your local industry of, you know, I sell widgets in the United States and I'm in the widget conference of America, you know, group. Now technology computers and the internet allow us to basically transact globally. Right. I think everybody's aware of that story, but what I think is sort of a new thinking is that we're not limited to our local networks or networks of convenience. We really can go to any nation around the globe, and find the best of the best in that particular, you would need to transact with somebody who edits videos. I don't need to have somebody who's in the US. I can go to India or the Philippines, or, you know, I can like hire somebody who lives in, you know, middle America in a rural town who has great skills, but doesn't live in Southern California, which normally would be your, you know, the way you'd look at it. So really to be oriented around networks of capability and to really work to build strong, powerful networks in a way that ad- advantages now from this, this, you know, global, you know, connectivity, you know, coordination, cooperation, that's been really, if I think about it now, George, like my job over the, you know, the last few years, plus really the rest of my career will be to, um, you know, amplify and accelerate those networks of capability to upgrade our, our company's capability to execute on real estate projects to, you know, find new groups of investors, right, who like the story of what we're producing, you know, in the workforce housing space, and to really just continue to build that, you know, network of both internal, you know, people work for us directly, um, but external also. Um, and, you know, we're making moves constantly to figure out how to upgrade the the teams and the people that we work with you know we got to take care of the people who are with us already so it's 
but you know sometimes like you and i talked about you know pre pre-interview is you know sometimes you have to quit people and companies and processes and markets to be successful so you know there's building powerful networks and there's quitting you know less powerful networks and it's it sounds harsh as i say it um but the reality is if you don't do that as a company and as an organization as a manager or ceo you know those people that you stick with from a loyal standpoint could drag you down right maybe it's not like fatal but you know if you got a person who holds your growth back you know they're thwarting your taking care of your family they're thwarting your employees taking care of their families so building networks of capability and quitting, they go together. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on. Come on. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can people engage with you and Urban Pacific? Yeah, no, thank you for that. So for, for your listeners, I would offer if uh, folks want to go to our website, uh, www.urbanpacific.com forward slash ebook. Uh, we've got an ebook offer uh, how to survive and thrive in a recession, which I think is an appropriate, timely conversation to be having. And this ebook really is a is a you know sort of a reflection and lessons learned from the 2008 recession um, that you know I was managing this company through that time period, and I think very applicable. So if folks want to go there, um, get the ebook, um, that will put you on our email list, which we'll, uh, put out every Saturday. We put out an email and our emails are really around, you know, market updates, economic trends, you know, some of the thinking that you see this network of capability and, and quitting conversations. There's sort of that knowledge in there. Uh, people want to go to the website and go to our investor education section. Got a lot of information there. And then, um, go to our contact page and our entire team uh, email and, and phone numbers are on there. And, you know, where we can get uh, people can get a hold of us that way. Uh, email is best. Love it. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Scott your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to urbanpacific.com slash ebook and get that information about managing through recessions. Go to urbanpacific.com, the, er, the investor education page, as well as the contact page. Check out all the great resources. Thanks again, Scott. All right, George. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together. I know how important it is for me to hit reset, to refocus, reprioritize, and even reprogram myself every quarter or so in order to make sure that my mind, my body, and my money are where they need to be. These days, we are all going hard constantly with so many demands on our time, our attention. And that's why I created the Strive Online Bootcamp, to be able to take a step back, to ensure that we're optimized in three key areas of our lives, our minds, our bodies, and our money. And I'd love for you to come with me on this two-week journey. You can click on the link in the notes of the show, or you can go to strivedetox.com. Check out the program. I'd love to have you a part of it.